Hi, I'm Tony Hines, and you're listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast, the news roundup. All things impacting global supply chains this week. Now, we could talk about lots of things happening in supply chains this week. We've still got inflation. The interest rates have gone up in the last week by three quarters of a percentage point in the US and the UK. Input costs are rising. We've got freight rate prices actually lowering. And that's because demand for shipping and container boxes has fallen. We've also got chip prices higher as a result of shortages of supply. And we've got strikes building up with wages hit by inflation. So what else could go wrong in the economy that could drive prices even higher, inflation even higher, and disrupt supply chains? Well, stay tuned and find out more in your weekly roundup. COP27 has been taking place this week in Egypt at Sharm el-Sheikh. Lots of world leaders, climate activists and other interested parties all attending. This, of course, is because of the climate emergency, trying to stop that one and a half degree rise in temperatures by 2030. But that looks a difficult ask right now. There is hope of strengthening the Paris Accord with nations reaching agreement. But is it really feasible that we can phase out fossil fuel by 2030? Well, I think that's a very difficult situation. There are those convinced who've taken steps to achieve it and the newly industrialised parts of the world reluctant to do so as they may well struggle to reach that target. And they've not committed to it. They've put longer dates. They've put 2050 on their dates. There's lots of talk about reparations for the damage. Reparations are for those countries that were part of the first industrial revolution So they're looking to the United States and to parts of Europe to pay reparations to those poorer parts of the world that were on the receiving end of the pollution in that first industrial revolution. But there's also the newer, more polluting countries such as India and China, and we'll come to those in a second. Many think reparation is a step too far. Many agree with it, but many don't. It remains to be seen whether that will ever take off and the commitment to it will ever be given. The world economies are not as financially strong right now with energy cost inflation rising, domestic challenges, the war in Ukraine and just coming out of the pandemic. So many economies would struggle to find the budget to pay reparations. Right now they have too many costs building up in their own countries. When it comes to climate change, of course, the critical argument is that you can't do nothing. The planet is under severe strain from the results of climate change. It's already likely that the one and a half degree target will be missed by 2030. Activists claim world leaders have not done enough to meet the challenge. And there's lots of rhetoric, but little action. And some say COP27 is simply a greenwashing exercise, a talking shop. Others are angry that all these people fly thousands of miles contributing CO2 emissions and their own carbon footprint to attend the conference is certainly high. Surely many of these meetings in today's world could have taken place digitally, and perhaps that's the greener thing to do. The Association of Small Island States, ASOS, has said they want newly industrialising countries like China and India to pay more of the cost 
towards the effect of climate change on the environment. China and India are two of the largest industrial nations polluting the environment. The record is not good. The terminology reparations is used to talk about historical pollution payments made by the first industrial nations like the United States and the United Kingdom for the pollution they caused to developing parts of the world, whereas loss and damage is the term used for payments made by countries like China and India. Arrival makes electric vehicles. It's one of those really great companies. It's innovative and it makes electric vehicles. Currently it's based in the UK, but there's some doubt about the existence of the company beyond 2023. It's had a few problems in recent months trying to meet its output targets with its modular manufacturing factory near Oxford. Nevertheless, if there's one company you'd like to see succeed, Arrival is probably the one. However, because of the difficulties with output, it's running into cash flow difficulties. As a consequence, it's looking to cut cost and its workforce in the UK is under threat. The share price on the US stock market fell by 33% on the news of these difficulties. This is just the sort of company that would help the UK with its zero emission targets by 2030. Supply chain issues and raw material costs have impacted the company and it says it's now trying to right size. One thing it's looking at is a move to the United States market, where it will have a bigger customer base for its vehicles. Let's hope it can recapitalize before it runs out of cash. It's hoping to get new capital within the next six months to keep the operation as a going concern. The Inflation Reduction Act in the United States offers some incentives that are attractive to arrival. The company posted third quarter losses amounting to £330 million, it made a loss in the previous year of just £30 million. The UK government needs a better industrial strategy to attract and retain innovative companies like Arrival. The latest figures from the Office of National Statistics in the United Kingdom say that the economy is in downturn by 0.2%, and many expect this to continue into recession. Recession, you'll recall, is a downturn for more than two quarters. So it depends what happens in the next quarter. In other news, not all is going well at Twitter. And Musk is warning that with more senior executives leaving Twitter, it could be facing bankruptcy. Many users of the social media platform have been quitting Twitter over the past week or two and switching to something I've never heard of called Mondon. But that drain, that leakage is continuing. Twitter seems to be hemorrhaging cash. And I noted this week that uh, Elon Musk was selling shares in Tesla, maybe because of the cash problems at Twitter. Hmm, maybe you should be careful what you wish for. It would be a shame to see Twitter disappear, I think, for many. It offers a different kind of social media experience. And, well, will it survive? That's the big question. More than a thousand shipments of solar energy components, which are worth hundreds of millions of dollars, have piled up at US ports since June. This is because of a new law banning the imports from China's Xinjiang region over concerns about slave labour, according to federal customs officials and industry sources. The seizures haven't been previously reported. It reflects how a policy intended to heap pressure on Beijing over the Uyghur detention camps in Xinjiang 
risks slowing Biden's administration's efforts to decarbonize the U.S. power sector to fight climate change. The U.S. Customs and Border Protection seized 1,053 shipments of solar energy equipment between June the 21st and October the 25th, when the Yuga Forced Labor Protection Act went into effect. On Friday, an earthquake of the magnitude 7.3 on the Richter scale hit Tonga. It struck in the sea, about 207 kilometres, or 128 miles from the capital, and they warned residents to move to higher ground. They feared a tsunami might happen. The earthquake was at a depth of 15.4 miles, that's 24.8 kilometres, below the sea. A tsunami advisory statement was also issued for American Samoa from the Pacific Tsunami Warning Centre. Hazardous tsunami waves from the earthquake would be possible within 300 kilometres of the epicentre of the quake, and it could reach the coasts of Nui and Tonga. Now, do we detect some subtle movements taking place as Apple reconfigures its supply hubs? Well, it was reported this week that Foxconn was quadrupling production at its Indian factory. It's taking on four times as many people in the workforce at the iPhone factory in India over two years. And it's said to be a production adjustment because of disruptions in China. So China's loss, India's gain. It's because of the tight virus restrictions that were applied at Zhengzhou, which caused disruption to the iPhone output. And so uh, this is a bit of readjustment of the global supply chains. Apple has lowered its forecast for shipments of the premium iPhone 14 models this week in a busy year-end holiday season. Foxconn plans to boost the workforce at its plant in southern India to 70,000 by adding 53,000 more workers over the next two years. It was interesting to read this week that there were somewhere between 40 and 64 private jets flying in to Sharm el-Sheikh. Some of them had flown both ways. They'd come out of Sharm el-Sheikh and were returning with passengers to attend COP27. And they were flying from various European airports and farther afield. There were protests in Amsterdam at Schiphol as a consequence of these private jets. Emissions from aircraft, of course, per kilometre travelled are significantly higher than any other transport type. Private jets produce significantly more emissions per passenger than commercial flights because they have fewer people on board. Of the many different models of private jet, the one that's used most often into Egypt ahead of COP27 was the Gulfstream G650. That uses about 500 gallons, that's 1,893 litres of fuel per hour. So if it flew from Amsterdam to Sharm el-Sheikh, it would use about 9,465 litres of aviation fuel. About 2.5 kilograms or 5.5 pounds of CO2 is emitted for every litre of aviation turbine fuel that's burned. So a flight from Schiphol to Sharm el-Sheikh would produce about 24 tonnes of CO2. And you can multiply that by the number of flights to get a figure for the pollution that's been added as a consequence 
of the Climate Change Conference. There were more protests in the United Kingdom this week by a group called Just Stop Oil. And they're doing all sorts of things like throwing paint over masterpieces in art galleries. They're sticking themselves by glue to roads and bridges and being quite disruptive, all in the name of climate change. And many are getting just a little bit fed up with their actions. And that's because it's stopping other things. It's stopping deliveries, it's causing chaos on the road network around the M25, and there must be a better way, mustn't there? I think you need to be able to have protests, but I think those protests don't need to disrupt everybody's lives in the way that these Just Stop Oil protests have done. So, yeah, freedom of speech, protests, all fine, but uh, have some consideration for other people. The BBC reported this week that uh, the number of delegates with links to fossil fuels at the United Nations Climate Summit has jumped 25% from the last meeting. 600 people at the talks in Egypt are linked to fossil fuels. That's more than the combined delegations from the 10 most climate-impacted countries. About 35,000 people are expected to attend the COP27 summit at Sharm el-Sheikh. The conferences have always attracted significant interest from coal, oil and gas industries who are very keen, of course, to influence and shape the debate. At last year's summit in Glasgow, an official analysis of the attendees list found 503 delegates connected to fossil fuel. 70 from the UAE, 33 from Russia, 12 from Kenya, 12 from Congo, 11 from Oman, 9 from Kuwait, 8 from Canada, 8 from Angola, and 3 from Namibia. So obviously trying to shape the discussion and protect interest. Now, there have been lots of discussions about the economy in the past few weeks, and people comment in different ways, and the language used is quite interesting because they talk about black holes in the finances, or they talk about getting inflation under control, and... The type of action that governments are taking, particularly in the UK, there's talk of Austerity 2 coming along with a budget that might penalise all kinds of people in the economy. And the problem with this, in some respects, is that it could have the wrong type of impact. These measures, after all, on a macro scale, are all approximate, and they quite often correct them a couple of months later. So it's difficult to think about what this black hole might consist of. The estimates put it between 35 billion and 60 billion in the UK, and they're talking about all sorts of tax rises and spending cuts. Now, the Bank of England, meanwhile, has raised interest rates. And, of course, this week, the UK economy hasn't yet gone into recession, but it's had a downturn in the economy of 0.2%, and there's always a time lag between an action and a reaction in these circumstances. So, it's like... John Maynard Keynes said many years ago, when the economy is under pressure, you should try and stimulate the economy to achieve some growth. The problem that the UK has had, it's tried to stimulate an economy when the Bank of England has been raising interest rates. And that's monetary policy. And the monetary policy has worked against the fiscal policy. But now 
both the monetary policy and the new fiscal policy in the form of austerity too, could actually send the economy into downturn. It could make things worse. So we'll wait and see what happens. It's speculation right now. One almost gets the feeling that the Bank of England has talked itself into a recession. It's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy, and it's obviously talking about a longer recession. It's talked about a year or two. It's confirmed in discussions that it could be up to two years. Of course, it's all just speculation. And the Bank of England doesn't have a great track record on its predictions or its forecasts or even its control of inflation. So why do we believe them anymore? Well, of course, some economists don't, and that's a problem, because that in itself breaks the trust. So it would be good if the Bank of England was slightly more cautious in its approach, without being slow and without being complacent and without speculating about two-year recessions. Petriolava is a Finnish textile producer, and he claims that he can produce fibres from disused textiles and save them from landfill and turn them back into reusable clothes. The fibre is called Infina, and it's being used by global brands, including Inditex that owns Zara, H&M and Patagonia. It's said to be a premium quality textile, similar to cotton, and if this works at scale, it could, of course, reduce a major waste problem and save lots of clothes from landfill. 92 million tonnes of textile waste is created every year, according to Global Fashion Agenda, and the figure is set to rise to more than 134 million tonnes by 2030. So this looks to be a good development, if it can be done. Now, you might recall I've been talking about the Liverpool dock strike that started a couple of months ago. It's been going on for quite a while now, and it's caused major disruption to the port of Liverpool. Peel Port, the owners originally offered just 8%, and the workers didn't accept that. The Unite Union said its members needed more. Well, the good news is the dispute seems to be settled, and the pay award seems to be in the region of 14 to 18%. The 18%, the higher end, is for certain night work allowances. 600 workers voted overwhelmingly in favour of the deal at a mass meeting, and Peelport said it looks forward to continuing to work in partnership with a focus on the future. Workers will resume normal duties, ending a wave of strike action that began in September. It's a highly significant victory for Unite, according to Sharon Graham, the Unite General Secretary. And she says, make no mistake, Unite will continue to fight for jobs, pay and conditions, and to defend workers relentlessly. Peel Port's Chief Operating Officer, David Hook, said we thank our key customers across the supply chain for support and patience during challenging periods for them, as well as our employees and the wider business. Peel Ports have invested £1.2 billion over the last decade, helping Liverpool to reclaim its position as one of the UK's most important port operations. And it's the busiest transatlantic port in Britain. The Northern Ireland Protocol is back in the news again, and there's still uncertainty about how it will be resolved. It's said that this continuing uncertainty in Northern Ireland 
is restricting opportunities for investment in capital, skills and jobs. That's according to the National Institute of Economic and Social Research, who commented that the economy had a robust recovery post-pandemic. The Northern Ireland Protocol and EU Single Market Access was part of the reason. But it mightn't last. So it does need a resolution. There was talk earlier in the week that the EU was hoping for a breakthrough. And the Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, said he was confident with goodwill and pragmatism. Along with the TSOC, Irish Prime Minister, Mikhail Martin. A negotiated solution would benefit everybody. From a supply chain point of view, if the parties could reach agreement, the technology is there to make a smooth transition between those goods that need duty and those goods that don't. So, we have the technology, we need agreement. Daimler Trucks says its supply chain is broken, even though it's now resolved a chip problem for its truck production. It's posted 13.5 billion euros in group sales for the third quarter, which is up 27% year on year, according to Reuters. They say there are still problems in the supply chain, and Jochen Gortz, Daimler Truck Chief Financial Officer, says it's all over the place, tyres, electric parts, engines, and in some cases, just nuts and bolts. It's a problem of getting car components. So solve one problem, which is the chip problem, but there's still many others. Investments have had to be postponed for good reasons on the supplier side, and they've seen a sharp increase in demand, and some of the mid-sized suppliers are simply not capable of ramping up fast enough. The company Daimler Trucks, of course, was a spin-off from Mercedes-Benz, and it had sold 41,000 more trucks and coaches than it did in the first nine months of last year. It now expects the full-year group revenue to be between 50 billion and 52 billion, which is up from 48 billion, 50 billion on an earlier forecast. The shortage of chips was partially being addressed by technical changes, which enabled the truck maker to use different types of semiconductors, while some chip makers had successfully ramped up production. But there are still some chips that are constrained and will remain so throughout 2023. So the chip problem is still there and it's still causing bottlenecks in supply chains. That's the key message. And that could well impede volumes for next year. And of course, as the demand has ramped up for chips, those chips have become a little more expensive. But it's the availability issue that's key. Well, that's it for this week's News Roundup. But just before I go, I want to tell you about the special edition coming up next week, where I am in conversation with Mario Paganini, and he's going to tell us about Stored and what they're doing to create that supply chain of the future. Well, that's it for this week's News Roundup. I'll see you in the next edition of Chain Reaction, when hopefully you'll join us to add value to your supply chain. But for now, I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off, and I'll see you next time. Bye for now.
The Chain Reaction Podcast was written, presented and produced by Tony Hines. Hi, I'm Tony Hines. I'm here to tell you about the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. I've been researching and writing about supply chains for over 25 years. I wrote my first book on supply chain strategies in the early 2000s. Each week we have special episodes on particular topics relating to supply chains. Now we have a weekly news roundup every Saturday at 12 noon. All things impacting global supply chains in that week. So come and join us on the Chain Reaction Podcast. I look forward to seeing you there. I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off. Bye for now.